During the um, late 90s, particularly the first part of the 2000s up till maybe 2010 or so, there were lots of music conferences taking place uh, around the country. Uh, there still are some, not as many as there used to be, but there were a lot happening during that period of time. Some happened every couple of years, some happened annually, and primarily because I had been serving so long as the music pastor in one church, I was asked to sometimes speak at these conferences. It was just such an anomaly for a music pastor to stay at one church for so long. You know what the national average is for uh, music pastors to stay at one church? Janice, do you know what the national average is? 18 months. Yeah, I, I beat that, <clears throat> but that had always been the national average. And so, because it was so unusual for someone to stay in one church for so long, that's, you know, that's usually why they would ask me and I, to come and speak, and I would do various sessions, and they would usually tell me the things that they wanted me to talk about. And uh, it was usually things like, how have you stayed so long in one church? How, how have you done that? That was one question, because that was not happening. Or it would come out like this. They would say, how, how have you worked with one senior pastor for so many years? Des and I had worked together for you know, decades at that point, And they always want to know how that could happen. Because sometimes there's conflict between the worship pastor and, and, the, and the senior pastor. Doesn't happen here at Bethesda. But it has happened in some places. And they want to know, how do you work with the same senior pastor all those years? Uh, and then here's the one I really liked. They would ask me to talk on the subject of how can you get along with the, uh, what, do you, what do you do about the issues created by the senior pastor's wife? I said, well, Mary Evans and I, we just put on our boxing gloves and we go after it. I honestly don't think Mary and I have ever had one issue in all these years because I always thought she was right. So, <laughs> and she was right. But uh, they would ask me questions like that or want me to give a, a conference, uh, give a seminar on it. They would ask me, how do you build a consistent ongoing choir program or an ongoing instrumental program, and how, how do you keep it fresh? I was often asked to talk on a subject like that. And then the big one was this, what is it that you expect of those in your music ministry? They'd always want to know that. What is it that you expect of those in your music ministry. So something happened one day that really brought this into focus for me, and it happened like this. A gentleman in the choir asked if he could take me to lunch. He had only been in the choir, oh, maybe a little over a year or so, if that long, a few months. And so I agreed to go to lunch, and we set the date, and, uh, and we had that lunch, and there were two surprises for me in that meeting. The first surprise, delightful surprise, is that to that lunch, he had brought a very generous check for the music ministry of Bethesda. Now, that's always a blessing, and just in case you're wondering, Pastor Brent is always available to go to lunch with you. <laughs> if he's not, I'll make sure he's available to go to lunch with you. But that was the first surprise. I really wasn't expecting that. And the second delightful surprise was a question that this gentleman posed to me, and honestly, it really caught me off guard because no one up to that point had ever put the question to me like this. I, I had not heard it like this, and it, it caught me totally off guard. He says, Dan, I am a very driven, goal-oriented kind of guy, and I'm the kind of guy who really wants to strive 
for excellence in everything that I do and whatever I put my hand toward. Now, I've been in the choir now, you said, long enough to pick up on the fact that you've got certain standards and certain ways of operating and, and, and certain things that you expect out of the people in the music ministry. And because I really want to be, I want to, I want to do a good job of this. I want to be great at, at this, at being a choir member. I need to know, is it, what is it that you expect of a great choir member? Well, what a surprise. After I pick myself up off the floor, because the, the truth is, it caught me totally off guard. I don't know if you know this or not, but many people are looking to see what is the minimum I can do? What's the least I can do and still kind of dangle my toes in the water and say that I'm involved? Now, not everybody is that way, but that's often what you get to see what's the least I can do and still say that I'm doing it. And here this guy is saying, I don't want to know what the least is. I want to know what is it that you expect? What's the standard that you have for people in the choir? Well, it, it literally caught me so off guard that, you know, I, I gave him a couple things off the top of my head because, you know, and I didn't answer him very well. Uh, we left that lunch, and as I drove away from that lunch, the conversation lingered with me, obviously. And I realized for the first time, I don't know why it took it so long for it to dawn on me, but I realized for the first time that certain things were true, that whether I had effectively articulated it or not, or let it be known, there was a certain standard or an expectation level that I had in my mind of how people were, would, were to function in a healthy and, and appropriate way in the music ministry. I think little by little I had dripped out those concepts and I had sort of sprinkled them here and there and, and hopefully sort of said this or said that and people had picked up, obviously this guy had, had picked up on that. But I don't know that I had ever solidified the thoughts and clearly communicated what the expectations were. So what I did shortly after that is I sat down and formulated a document and I called it Profile of a Great Choir Member. And it ended up being 10 things. How many choir members are in the room today who remember the profile of a great choir member? It needs to be etched on the walls of your heart. All right? Profile of a great choir member. And that ended up being a session that I taught at music conferences from Maine to California, everywhere. In fact, I, somebody told me one day that they found it on the Internet. I didn't put it on the Internet, but somebody took such good notes one of my sessions, they did it and put it on the internet. And I, you can find it today. Um, I don't know why that happened, but they did. But the big realization for me was this. And this is the way I presented it to music pastors across the country. Is that if it was true that I held in my mind and in my heart a certain standard or expectation of people in the music ministry... And if I was going to, even in my own mind and heart, hold them responsible or accountable or measure them by a certain standard, then it was only fair that I clearly communicated what that standard was by which I was measuring. Made sense to me because that's how I would have wanted to be treated. If, if I'm doing something with someone or for someone, I want to know what's the goal here? What's expected? What's, what, what would we call success? What would that look like? And then once they know that, once it's been communicated, then they can choose if they're going to live up to it or not, 
as a member of the music ministry. Well, what also dawned on me was this, that it wasn't going to work for me to continue to live with the merry-go-round or the, or the roller coaster, I should say, of, of disappointment when people weren't measuring up to something, even if I had not communicated it. That was not going to work at all. It was not fair to me, and it certainly wasn't fair to them. So this morning, I want to take just a few minutes, if you'll listen real carefully for a few minutes, and I want to talk about a subject. This is a topical expression this morning, and I'm going to talk about dealing with expectations. Dealing with expectations. We all have them. There's not a person in the room today who does not have to deal regularly, if not daily, with expectations of yourself, expectations of others, and expectations of God. That's the three things we're going to look at today. Expectations of yourself, of others, and of God. It's simply true that one of the elements of daily living is the element of our expectations. When you think about it, we are expectant people. We are people of hope, looking forward to something else. We have dreams and desires that we hope will come to pass. For example, how, how many of you have ever uh, had times at Christmas or birthday when you were hoping or expecting to receive a certain gift so bad? How many have ever had that? Oh, come on. No, not me. You're not telling the truth. And then how many of you know what it is to be elated if you get that thing that you were expecting, get that gift you were planning on, or the disappointment when you didn't get what it was. Expectations. We all have them. We all live with them. Paul Harvey told uh, about a college basketball coach who was shaving one day when his wife called upstairs to say, honey, Sports Illustrated is on the phone for you. It's a college basketball coach. Well, the coach got so excited that he nicked himself while he was shaving, and he was so eager for the recognition for himself and his school, that while rushing to the phone, he fell down the stairs. He bruised himself, banged himself all up, but he's trying to hurry and get to the phone, and he finally pulls himself together and staggers to the phone, and breathlessly, he says, hello? And on the other end of the phone, the voice said, yes, sir, I'm happy to tell you that for only 75 cents per week, you too can receive your copy of the Sports Illustrated magazine. <laughs> Expectations. Let's keep it simple today. Expectations of yourself, of others, and of God. Let's talk about you. One of the most paralyzing things to deal with in life is unfulfilled expectations. It's disappointing discouraging, if not even depressing. And we are all haunted with the question, by now, I thought I would have... You don't have to answer it out loud, but thank you. <laughs> We're all haunted with the question, and you may silently fill in the blank, to yourself, 
By now, I would have thought that I would have lost weight, had a six-pack. I gave up on that years ago. Some are saying, by now, I would have thought I would have been married. Or by now, I would have thought I would have had a job, or I would have had a much better job than the one that I have. By now, I, I would have thought I would have been retired, or I would have thought I would have been debt-free by now. All kinds of expectations. Now, the truth is we all have them. You can fill in your own blank, but there is a caution here for us, church, that we need to observe when we head down that path. The caution is this. We need to be very careful in that questioning that we are not questioning the sovereignty of God. Hello? We need to be very careful that we're not questioning God's moving in our life, God's placing, God placing us where He wants us to be, doing what He wants us to do. We may have had our dreams and ambitions. That's okay. That's good. But we have to keep it within the framework of the sovereignty and the will of God. We must not forget that God has His divine plan for our lives, and He is working it out in us whether or not it is meeting with our expectations. But the problem for us, for me, for you, is this. If this is your expectation level, and this is your reality, what's in between here is usually pain. If this is your expectation level, but this is the way it really is, usually what's in between here is pain. But the Apostle Paul gives us some great advice on dealing with the pain that runs between our expectation and our reality. He says it to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, and I love this verse. I love this verse so much, I have it right up on the wall of my office. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Some versions say great wealth. Say it with me. Godliness with is great gain. He did not say... Godliness with complacency is great gain. That's not what's said there. And there is a great difference between contentment, it's okay. I'm okay with where it is here today. May not be everything I hoped for. May not be all I plan, plan on, but I'm okay. Godliness with contentment. And I'm content because I trust in the sovereignty of God. I'm content because I rest in Him. I'm content because I trust Him. That's an entirely different thing than complacency. Complacency is giving up. Doesn't matter. No matter what I say. Doesn't matter what I pray. Doesn't matter. No, 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 no. That's not the same thing. He says godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment never comes from the possession of external things. Contentment comes from an inner attitude to life. In the third part of Henry VI, Shakespeare draws a picture of the king wandering in the country places unknown. And the king meets two gamekeepers and tells them that he is a king. One of them asks him, but if thou be a king, where is thy crown? And the king gives a fabulous answer. He says, my crown is in my heart. 
not on my head, not decked with diamonds and Indian stones, nor to be seen. My crown is called content, a crown it is that seldom kings enjoy. Contentment does not really come naturally to most of us. Some of you have a greater bent toward that than others. There are some people that are simply more designed to be content. But I'm telling you, you need to release yourself of the expectation of yourself if it has, if it has come in and eaten away or eroded the credibility of your contentment in God. There's a young lady that is in our lives right now. She's a friend of my son. And I think they should put her picture by the word content in the dictionary. She simply exemplifies contentment. She was in our den, and she was reading a book, and Shader was reading a book a couple of Saturdays ago, and they were there for hours reading. He was in one book, she was in another book, and I was doing whatever, and I would leave my office and come in and get a snack, and then an hour later come and get water, and then whatever, and I kept just hours and hours and hours, and finally I walked in and said, y'all are boring. (laughs) And here was her answer. She, I could tell I, I, I broke her concentration from the book, and she looked up, and she smiled so sweetly, and she says, oh, but we have rich inner lives. My first response was, yeah. <laughs> Great. But then as I turned around and thought about it, I thought, how many people can say that? How many people can say I have a rich inner life. There's a contentment within me because I'm resting in the Lord Jesus. Most of us are always striving, always reaching for something further, better, higher, faster. Always going, 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 going. And the more goal-oriented you are, the more difficult it is for you to, re- to, you, for you to achieve godly contentment. But the Apostle Paul has, says, has told us, Godliness with contentment is. Paul also says in Philippians 4, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. For I can do, I can do all things, everything, through Christ who gives me strength. How many of you have hung on to that verse for years and years? Let's say it together. Say it the way you know it. I can do all things through Christ. Expectation of yourself. The best thing you could do for yourself today is accept where you are. It is what it is. This is what you've got. Go with it. And then maybe you need to look, you need someone to look you in the eye today and say, why don't you give yourself some space and grace? Some of you need to just flat chill out. Why don't you trust the God who has brought you safely thus far, who knows the plans that he has for you, who is perfectly capable of manipulating your way, your path, your, ordering your steps in a situation that has you where he wants you to accomplish his will and purpose for you, all for the glory of his name. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, it's time to chill out and trust God. Do it right now. expectation of yourself. All right, what about expectation of others? Expectation of others. 
Here's what I know. When I preach a message like this, I know I'm hitting everyone in the room. Because every single one of us has expectations of other people. Your spouse. Your parents. Expectations of your children. Your boss, your workmates, your friends, your pastor. And the pain comes when the expectation is here, but the reality is down here. Am I telling you the truth? If he loved me, he would certainly... Please don't fill in the blank out loud. (laughs) If she really loved me, oh, I'm, I'm sure she would... Or, I am so disappointed in my children. I heard it said to me, Dan, that's not the seeds that I've sown. Or maybe my friends or who I thought were my friends have really let me down. Or how about this? I hear this. Do you know that even my own mother won't help me? Well, I, I, I would have thought that the pastor would have. The pastor. <laughs> Let's see, who have I missed today? <laughs> I think I got all of you. We all have and hold expectations of other people, and when expectations are unfulfilled, it causes a lot of angst. Can I get a witness in the room today? Let me help you see one little thing that maybe, if you've missed it, you're going to get it today. Maybe you know it and be reminded. If you have expectations of another person, and those expectations, you need to understand, those expectations are only valid if you have made them known to that person. Because here, some of you are walking around, and you're waiting And you're waiting and waiting for that person to fulfill your expectations. (laughs) And you're waiting and you're waiting. And you're going, Pastor Dan says, the hardest part of faith is the waiting. And he's right. (laughs) And you're waiting and waiting for some, and you've never expressed what that is. But you just think if they loved you, if they cared for you, they would get it. You wouldn't have to tell them. And you're holding this expectation. Meanwhile, here's dude over here with a big old C on his forehead for clueless. And you're wanting to say to him, see that big old shiny red clue button? Why don't you mash it and get you one? Get a clue. You're not fulfilling my expectations. It's very unreasonable and unfair of us to hold expectations of someone or judging or measuring them by a certain standard if we've not made it known to them. I find out all the time, all the time, that people were expecting certain things out of me that I had no idea. Now, having discovered what they were expecting, I may have to say, I don't have a hope this side of heaven of doing that. I, I, I can't, and here's why. But at least it's now out in the open. And we have the opportunity to talk it out. It just amazes me why some people are not willing to sometimes allow the grace of God to be a part of their conversations. Let's get it out in in the open and then see what the Lord can do. 
let God's grace be applied for it so that you, that you can be released. You're no longer holding me hostage if you have expectations. And you can walk free because at least it's been made known. You're not holding me prisoner or holding that person prisoner in your own mind with that unfulfilled expectation. Does that solve all of the problems of expectations of others? No, but it's a very, 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 very good start. You know, we need to be very careful what we're looking for in others, what we're expecting. It's said that two kinds of birds fly over the California deserts, the hummingbird and the vulture. All the vulture can see is rotting meat because that's all he's looking for. And he thrives on that diet. But the hummingbird ignores the carcasses and the smelly flesh of dead animals. Instead, he looks for the tiny blossoms of the cactus flowers. And he buzzes around until he finds the colorful blooms almost hidden from view by the rocks. Each bird finds what it is looking for. The question to you is, what are you looking for? And better still, what are you finding? What you are finding tells you what you are really looking for. Because, hear me, your expectations of life will determine your outcome. Bam. Your expectations of life will determine your outcome. We've talked about your expectations of yourself, your expectation of others. Let's talk about your expectations of God. Because here's where most of us need the greatest adjustment or realignment. Could be because of some faulty teaching we've picked up along the way. Could be a lack of our own understanding of the word, whatever, whatever reason. And I want to say this to you this morning about your expectations of God. And I want to say also, as I'm giving this, as I do every Sunday morning, I know what I'm saying, but only the Holy Spirit can cause you to hear what you need to hear. I typically am astonished at feeble words that I've said to find out what the Holy Spirit has said to you because of it. So let's open our hearts to see what the Lord's going to say to us today. Here's two things that, that it, it's about our expectation of God because it's like a two-sided coin or a double-edged sword or whatever metaphor you want to use. On the one hand, you and I have no right to expect anything from God. He's already done more for you and more for me than we ever deserved. Can I get a witness to that? Is that true? He saved us. He's redeemed us. He's given us eternal life. And there are times I could look at myself and say, Dan, how dare you expect to even God to even do any more than that? Look what he's already done. On the other hand, there is no way, church, that you can set your expectations high enough for what the almighty, omnipotent, omniscient God is able to do. Scripture makes it extremely clear in Ephesians 3. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. And the church said amen. God is able. I said God is able. He is able. Numerous examples are given throughout Scripture of his provisions. And I'm going to call these the not onlys of Scripture. The not onlys. And I want you to grab onto your own not only today. Look at Joseph. He was not only delivered from prison, but he was put in a position of authority where he could save his own family. Take Job. 
He was not only delivered from his afflictions, but given double of what he had before in children and in livestock. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Look at the three Hebrews in Babylon. They were not only delivered from the flames of the fiery furnace by the Lord himself, but were put into leadership in Babylon. Their testimony made an impact upon the king. What about Daniel? He was not only delivered from the lion's den, but his enemies were destroyed and he was promoted into a position of authority. Who is ready for a not only this morning? Who is ready for a not only this morning? You know what your expectation is, but he can do exceedingly abundantly above all of what you are expecting. And not only will you get that, you may get something else in a way that you weren't even planning and expecting. Let me go on. What about Esther and Mordecai? Saw the Lord destroy wicked Haman as he hung on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. And also saw the Lord work out a way for the Jews to protect themselves from a royal law of execution. And to legally destroy over 75,000 of their enemies within the Persian Empire. Not only, not only. What about Hannah? Childless Hannah promised God she would give her child to the Lord if he would only bless her with a baby. Samuel was born and she kept her word. But here's what happened. God didn't stop there. He gave her five more children, which were three boys and two girls. Five is the number of God's grace. And God was demonstrating his grace to Hannah and giving her exceedingly, abundantly, above all, she could ask or think. What I'm saying to you and trying to communicate to you this morning is no matter how high your expectation is of God, it's not high enough. You can't set your expectation high enough. Who's ready for a not only this morning? Come on then get your expectation up. Get your expectation up. But here's the catch. He doesn't have to do it your way. He doesn't have to do it your way. Seems like I've read somewhere in Isaiah where it says his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are beyond our thoughts. Paul says it this way in Romans 11. Who can know the mind of the Lord? Who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to give him advice? And who has given him so much that he needs to pay it back? He doesn't have to do it my way. In fact, his ways will probably surprise you. No matter what your expectations are. The issue for many of us is this. Some of us are still trying to hold God hostage because we perceive that he has disappointed us by not fulfilling our expectations. What do you mean, Dan, holding God hostage? Well, as ridiculous as it sounds, that's exactly what some people do, whether they know it or not. Well, what does that look like, Dan? Well, they can tell you how mad they are at God for not doing what they thought he should do. They're holding God hostage. Some people even feel that God owes them because of some time in the past in their, in their spiritual journey where they exerted an extreme measure of obedience. And they were thankful for that or even proud of that. They did that. God told them they obeyed. And so they're hanging on to that. They have that in their credit column. Or they gave some great level of sacrifice. And they believe that because of that, that, they, that God owes them something. Or they expect God to perform for them in a way of their choosing. And when he doesn't, they feel he has not met their expectation. 
You're so quiet. Well, let me give you three ways that our expectations of God should be measured. And then we'll close this morning. How to measure your expectations of God. Number one, our expectations must not limit God. Our expectations must not limit God. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus has Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. They didn't really understand what was going on, and largely because they had a certain expectation. So we're jumping in the middle of a conversation, but there's a point here I want to pull out of this. Mark chapter 9. Then they asked him, why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Jesus responded, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready for the Messiah. Yet why do the scriptures say that the Son of Man must suffer greatly and be treated with utter contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they chose to abuse him just as the scriptures predicted. Here's what I'm saying. Our expectations must not limit God. It was difficult for the disciples in this situation to grasp the idea that their Messiah would have to suffer. That wasn't in their plan. The Jews who studied the Old Testament prophecies expected the Messiah to be a great king like David who would overthrow the enemy, Rome. Their vision was limited to their own time, knowledge, and experience. It was limited. They could not understand that the values of God's eternal kingdom were different from the values of the world. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are beyond our thoughts. They, the disciples, expected relief from their present problems. But deliverance from sin is far more important than deliverance from physical suffering or political oppression. Our understanding of and appreciation for Jesus must go beyond what he can do for us in the here and now. And only those with spiritual ears and open hearts are able to grasp that concept. Most of us want the goodies for here and now. Bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. Well, yes, we all love to be blessed, and that's great, and he will. But our understanding of God must go beyond that. Our expectations of what God will do must always include the fact that our perspective is very limited. So number one, in measuring your expectation of God, our expectations must not limit God. How to measure your expectations, number two. Our faith ought to include great expectation. We prayed in the prayer service last Sunday night, and probably we'll do it again tonight at 6 o'clock. God, give us great faith. Give us great faith. Don't let us just saunter in here and Assume it's just another time. No, give us great faith to expect and believe what you can do for us. I take you to John chapter 6. Soon a gale swept down upon them, and the sea grew very rough. You know the story. They had rowed three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat, and they were terrified. But he called out to them, don't be afraid. I am here. The terrified disciples, they probably thought they were seeing a ghost what it seemed like to them. But if they had thought about all that they had already seen Jesus do, they could have accepted this miracle as well. 
I've said this to you before and said it recently. The greatest enemy of faith is forgetfulness. The greatest enemy of faith is forgetfulness. That we forget what he, has, what he just did yesterday. We forget what he did last week because we're so pressed on to the next thing. We forget it. That's why it's important that we enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter his courts with, with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name because as we come before the Lord, we come and we want our faith to be enlarged and expanded and reaching beyond where it has before. And that happens when we remember what he did yesterday. The greatest enemy of our faith is forgetfulness. God help us to remember we will remember the great things that he has done, and we will be grateful for what he has done. The disciples were frightened. They didn't expect Jesus to come, and they were not prepared for his help. Faith is a mindset that expects God to act. It expects God to act. When we act on this expectation, we overcome our fears. So how do we measure our expectation of God? Our expectations must not limit God. Our faith ought to include great expectation. And number three, God's answers won't always fit our expectations. Hello. How many found that to be true? Paul said to the Romans, one of the things I always pray for is the opportunity, God willing, to come at last to see you. When you pray continually about a concern, dear friend, don't be surprised at how God answers. Paul prayed to visit Rome so that he could teach the Christians there. And when he finally arrived in Rome, it was as a prisoner. He had prayed for a safe trip. And he arrived there safely after being arrested, slapped in the face, shipwrecked and bitten by a poisonous snake. God's ways of answering our prayers are often far from what we expect. When you sincerely pray, folks, God will answer, although most often not with the timing that you expect, in ways that you don't expect, using resources that you don't expect, and probably using some people that you wouldn't have chosen and you certainly didn't expect them to be part of the answer. Amen, Dan. That's so good. <laughs> it's true. I'm telling you the truth. This is why when we pray, we pray this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Lord, I'm asking you to do this. I'm, it's me, O oh Lord, in the need of prayer, and, and I, I need this today, but I'm submitting it to your will and to your way. And my expectation is not going to be of other people. It's not even going to be of myself. My expectation is going to be in you and in the way you want to accomplish your will and your way in my life. That's how we pray. It's up to you. It's up to the sovereign God. So today, church, Let's take our expectations off of people, off of ourselves, and let's put them on the Lord. Even while we make an intention to stand back and see the glory of the Lord and how He does His work in us. You know, in closing, I really am going to close sometime. 
I discovered three Greek words of the New Testament for what we call expect. I'm going to wow you with my Greek here. Just, just prepare yourself, okay? There are three Greek words. I really did find them fascinating, and I want you to grab it this morning. The first is prostokao. Prostokao. It means to look forward to that which will probably occur. Prostokao. Looking forward to that which probably is going to occur. Peter and John are at the temple. There's the lame man there. And he looks upon them with prostokao. He's thinking, probably these guys are going to give me some money. Prostokao. Expectation of something that's probably going to occur. But it goes to a second level. The second is this, ekdekomai. Ekdekomai. I found this in Hebrews 10, 13. It means to wait for the realization of that which is assuredly going to happen. I'm waiting, but there's no doubt. This is not a probably going to occur. No doubt this is going to happen. Ekdekomai. But there's one more. And I like this one. It's even more intense. I'm going to tell you something. If you're in a home group, first of all, if you're not, you need to be in one. This is good stuff for you to look at this week. Here's the third one. It's, give me a second to look at it. Apokerodokia. Apokerodokia. I found it in Romans 8.19 if you're taking notes, or Philippians 1.20. Apokerodokia. This is earnest expectation earnest expectation. I love this. This is not standing thinking casually, well, I expect that's probably going to happen. This is not even standing back and saying, yeah, that's going to happen. Glad about that. I'm expecting that to happen. This is earnest expectation. In fact, this word in the Greek, it's so earnest that it implies the stretching forth of the head toward an object that is anticipated. This is apok... What is the word? <laughs> Apokerodokia. Apokerodokia. It's a stretching forward toward that which you are anticipating. And I don't know how you feel this morning. And I don't know how you've come into the room today. What your expectation level is. Some of you have come with your face down today for whatever reason. I want you to walk out of here today saying, I'm not going to put my expectation in other people. I'm going to ease up on myself and what I'm expecting of myself. And I'm going to put my expectation in God because I believe that he can do exceedingly abundantly above all anything that I can ask or think. And I'm going to get a not only, not only can he take care of that, but he can do it in a magnificent way that gives me blessing I'm not thinking about. And I'm going to earnestly reach for apokaradokia. How many of you are ready for some apokaradokia today? then you need to reach for that thing. I am reaching for that because my heart is yearning for it. I'm expecting God to do it. I need him to come into this, and I know of a sure he can do it. It may not look like I think. It may not come the way I think, but he can do it because he is able. Bless the name of the Lord. <laughs> Pastor Brent, come on so I can wind down here. There is one more thing. We've talked about our expectations of ourselves, of others, and of God. But I can't finish this without saying, you know, there's an important question we didn't ask here today. 
do you think that the moment should ever come where we ask the question, what does God expect of us? I kind of started there when I was telling you about the profiles of the great choir member. What is it God expects of us? I'm a person that wants to know. I'm a list person. I'd like a list. <laughs> Doesn't always come that way. The truth is, sometimes we make it so complicated. We get it all tangled up in all kinds of ways, complicating it, what God expects of us. And some of us simply want to know, what is it God expects? Well, there's a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13 that laid out very plainly for us. Let me read it for you. Deuteronomy 10, 12, 13. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases Him and love Him and serve Him with all your heart and soul. And you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. Five simple things this verse tells us. It says this, number one, fear God. Live with reverence and respect. It does concern me where reverence is leaving the church in today's church reverence for the house of God reverence for the presence of God but it says number one fear God number two live according to his will number three love him number four worship him with all your heart and soul worship him all your heart and soul. That means both in your worship time at home, in your car, privately. When we come together as a corporate body of believers, you lay everything else down. It's not half-hearted. No. Lord, we've come to let you be the center of it all. Give him everything. Worship him with all your heart and soul. And number five, according to this verse, obey his commands. It's a simple list. Those of you who like simple lists, there's a simple list. Let's close our eyes this morning. Bow your heads. I'm going to pray for two kinds of people, very simply. Then we're going to sing. I'm going to ask you to stand if you want special prayer for either of these categories. Is there anyone in the house today that you need to release expectations of yourself or others. The truth is, somehow the Holy Spirit has let it be known to you today that you have been holding expectations. They're unfulfilled, and you need to release those today and release the person that you're holding captive. If that's you, would you please stand so we can pray? pray is there anyone in the house today that you're asking God for something and you're standing in faith 
Lord, you really want your faith to be increased because you are so ready for a not only in your situation. That God can show up in whatever way he wants and he can not only answer the thing you're asking for, but he can add to it in ways that are beyond your imagination. You're ready for a not only, but you are ready to submit completely to the will of God. Today, you want great faith with great expectation. And not only that, you're ready for apokaradokia. You're ready to crane your neck toward it. If that's you, would you please stand?